I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Gassan Halazan. Gassan is a Jordanian-Canadian technology and e-commerce entrepreneur. He is an unbelievably bright person who went from failing on Wall Street as an investment banker to leaving and diving into the world of entrepreneurship. His current company, Emerge, is now worth $100 million, and he is set on building it to a billion-dollar company. I loved our chat on his story, how to stay motivated and hungry, and some fantastic actionable tips for anyone looking to chase their dreams. Hope you love this episode. So today I am joined by Gassan Halazan. <laughs> Gassan, welcome. Thanks so much, Emily. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. So now I have read all kinds of things about you. Amazing things. Believe it all. <laughs> How would you describe yourself and what you do in your own words? You know what, Emily? I've been first and foremost an e-commerce and technology entrepreneur. It's, it's hard to imagine, but it's been 10 plus years doing this scaling e-commerce companies, You know, whether it's bootstrapping them from the ground up, funding them, growing them, restructuring them, selling them, you name it. Mm -hmm. It's been quite the PhD in the, in the world of startups and in tech and, and really in sort of founder life and everything in between. How did you get started in that? I share this, this story quite a bit because I do think that uh, there's a common theme in how founders end up doing what they do. In mm -hmm. my case, I was an investment banker on Wall Street at Citigroup in New York uh, during some pretty interesting years, 2000. <laughs> Eight to 2010, right, okay. smack down, right smack down the beginnings and ultimately the turbulences of the recession. And, you know, I had an itch just like everybody else. You know, the truth is people say they get inspired out of nowhere. But in my case, and I'm sure in many other cases, uh, it was it was out of necessity. You know, I frankly was not an incredible banker, and that's putting it nicely. I, I think <laughs> I was pretty terrible at my job. And it was only a matter of time before I was going to get booted. And given that the industry was in flux and out of favor, I, my mind started wandering, thinking through, you know, new sectors, new areas. And I always felt that I, I wanted to run my own business. I always felt like I wanted to control my own destiny. And, and really, when the when I saw the online movement in e-commerce and social commerce emerging, mm -hmm. and this is this is 2010, I really felt compelled to participate in it and to compete in it. And so I, what I did was I essentially quit my job and partnered with a couple of guys I met on a blog. And the rest is history. You know, 10 years later, we've really been through all sorts of trials and tribulations, but we've done quite well, I would say. Mm -hmm. And how old were you when you made this jump? I was around 25 years old at the time. So started at a relatively young age and my first venture, you know, was really sort of my first foray into starting anything, right? Uh, you know, in, in anything major with consequences, you know, within two, three years, you know, by age 27, we had about 130 employees across the country in my wow. original venture. And we didn't know what we were doing, but we were learning uh, and we were making big mistakes. And frankly, that's part of the journey and, and how, how we got to where we are today, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, 
these mistakes, what are some of the, the, the biggest ones that you made? How many hours do we have? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really been that sort of uh, ongoing environment of continuously learning, continuously making mistakes. And if you're not making them, then you're not, you know, trying as, as they Absolutely. say. Right. I, I would bucket it into a couple of categories in terms of the types of mistakes. And some of them are purely structural mistakes early on, how mm-hmm. to, you know, structure agreements and, and incentivize employees the right way and make sure that, you know, the board is set up the right way and things like that, that no one's ever taught us how to do mm-hmm. uh, is, is one bucket. I think the other bucket is a lot of times, you know, sort of getting excited and thinking you're invincible, right? When things start growing so fast, as, as often is the case with technology companies, young founders especially seem to think that, you know, they're the chosen one, so to speak. And and so they start thinking <laughs> that they're invincible and that nothing can go wrong. And of course, that's exactly when <laughs> things yes. are. Going wrong. So I think, you know, over, over the years, we've learned to, frankly, not get too excited if things are going too well, but also not to get too worried if you're dealt a bad card. And I think that's equally important. Like, I think there's something to be said about good composure and balance and ultimately resilience in times where things are, are down. And then I think thirdly, you know, sometimes you think that's super talented people and hires that we thought were like remarkable talents, but turned out to be super weak team mm. players. And so one of my big things that I talk about lately on, on LinkedIn and on social and through my, my talks and virtual talks is that we would really side with team players over talent any day. And I think hard work and just sort of good communication, great respect, mutual respect, I think goes a very long way in building an organization and an ecosystem that lasts and stands the test of time. Mm-hmm. I'd have to agree with you on that one. So your partners... You met them on a blog. Yeah, you know what? I met my original partners on a blog that was talking about different e-commerce trends. I was in New York. They were in Toronto. And this was for my original venture, by the way. I should have, I should have made clear. And what was that, your original one? Our original business was a local deals business. Okay, and, yes. Uh, yes, I have seen that. Right. And it was sort of the Groupon of Canada for, for some time, for three, four years at the time. So local deals on restaurants, spas, events, that sort of thing, which was brand new at the time. Local businesses didn't really have much of a, an ecosystem to invest in uh, online and bring people through the door on a performance basis. So that was the venture we scaled up from zero to 130 employees. It was venture backed by some of you know, some new world renowned investors like Insight Venture Partners out of New York and Georgian Partners and early Shopify investor. And, you know, from that perspective, we were three or four 25, 26-year-old guys really out of a garage, just like you read about and, and hear about in the movies and uh, just, you know, pushing our way through based on pure passion and, and grit. But then we learned a big lesson along the way, which was as we were growing and with a mentality to grow at all costs, so to speak, which is really a venture-backed or a Silicon Valley mindset to scale or die, or in other words, get to billions of dollars or not really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we followed that mantra and we, we pushed hard and we did grow and we became number one. But we realized pretty quickly that you know, growth without scalability, without profitability baked into the model would really compromise our ability to control our own destiny. And so in many ways, that was one of the biggest learnings that we poured into Emerge eventually, which stands for Emerge, merging e-commerce companies, 
mm. onto a universal platform where all of these smaller sites share technology and resources and data ultimately with the more profitable, sustainable way to build e-commerce. And so that's a prime example of taking a mistake and a big one at that, which was really sort of, the, again, the venture-backed mentality. When we took capital, it was we were told, hey, don't worry about making money today. Just grow for the next three, four, five years and then reverse engineer profitability one day. Well, of course, that day never really came in my original venture. And so with Emerge, we've been building much more sustainably and profitably from the ground up. And that's one of the biggest differences between this company and, and one of my previous ones. So did you end up selling that first company or it closed? Yeah, so we ended up selling the business to an American company and it was quite a restructuring. It wasn't a, it was a suboptimal outcome overall, I would say. And again, to my point about learnings and mistakes, it was really, in a way, if you want to think of it as a really fantastic mistake to make. Now, mm -hmm. it cost but at the same time, like had that not happened, we wouldn't have built this $100 million plus company here with Emerge, which, by the way, is a, a TSXV listed company under the ticker Ecom. You know, we would not have been in that position to sort of pour our learnings and build something better. And so that's, that's again, the, the continuous journey of an entrepreneur is to continue to learn, be humbled by it, but never forget the lessons and apply it in a way that ultimately betters yourself, your, your company and the shareholders and community around you. Mm-hmm. Did you end up having partners again this time around? Yes, we have multiple partners in Emerge, actually, that are either highly involved or supportive as advisors or shareholders. Some, some great names in Canadian technology and e-commerce. One of the first companies we acquired was by Topia, which was Michelle Romano's original. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, so she's obviously Clearbank and Dragon's Den, and Michelle's uh, a good friend and advisor of us here at, at Emerge. We have Drew Green from Indochino, the custom suit company. He's the chairman okay. here mm -hmm. at Emerge and an investor. I can go on and on. We have a number of really fantastic technology, e-commerce. Fantastic. So the companies that you acquire, what catches your eye? So think of it this way. I mean, what's happening in e-commerce is super interesting. I mean, everyone's seen a version of that slide that says, or article that says, you know, e-commerce has grown more in the last couple of quarters than it has over the prior decade, right? Hmm. Because, you know, because of the pandemic, you know, accelerating retail dollars shifting online. And that's no different than you, you and me trying new things out while we were stuck at home, whether that's groceries or gym equipment or what have you. The world's changed forever. And and, and e-commerce certainly been one of the big winners in a sector, not that we like calling it winning at a time when so many people have, you know, going through tough times. But the reality is that that shift is is a permanent one, and if anything, is just getting started. And you know, so from our perspective, when we acquire companies, we're looking for a couple of things really. First of all, we're looking for them to be what we call a niche market leader within e-commerce. So we like very specific categories that exhibit sticky behavior, sometimes in underserved markets. So they're not necessarily uh, super competitive and have these big boys at the table with huge dollars behind them. So like we really zoned in on these niches. For example, golf. We own a, a brand called Underpar, which is the market leader in golf experiences. We just recently acquired True Local. I uh, saw that. Right. So it's the market leader in uh, premium meat subscriptions. It connects local farmers with a health-conscious millennial audience on uh, subscriptions in a box, essentially meat, meat in a box delivered to your door. You know, we initially acquired Wagjag, which is sort of a family offers business and, and staycations sort of hub. So what, a lot of what we're looking for is these niches that we think and identify 
have incredible customer retention and merchant engagement. And of course, underlying you know sector trends that show very positive trends over the next five to 10 years. But then from there, a big part of it is making sure these businesses have a track record of, of growth in, in both revenue and profitability, which is equally important, if not more. And then really these founders, these bootstrap founders at the heart of the, these operations. So we're not really, we're not a typical private equity style group that would come in, slash cost, cut the brand. That's not us. Like we're, we, mm-hmm. we partner with founders and sort of the easiest way to explain it in, a, in today's world, because I think it's so common, and especially in Canada, people really sort of love the Shopify story. And we're, all, we're also very big fans of their success, both here and globally. But in a way, if you think of the, e-commerce landscape, what's happening is you have Amazon, which is really building this undeniable retail empire, right? And then you have, you know, sort of Shopify coming in saying, hey, you know what, we're going to arm the little guy, we're going to power the rebels and help them grow these cool bootstrap brands and businesses that care about their communities. And then really doing a terrific job keeping things lean and mean. And so really what Emerge does is we buy those rebels. That's what we do. We, we, we acquire these really cool quality brands, quality direct-to-consumer brands and businesses. But then guess what? We help them unite. We help them share resources and technology and data and back-end support and all of these things that every e-commerce company has to worry about. We just worry about it once for all of our portfolio companies. So today we have five brands, two million members, but tomorrow we'll have you know 50 brands. And we don't need all of these brands to be worrying about all that engine and technology and mm-hmm. the boring stuff, right? We'll take care of all of that for them and help them focus on what they know best. Wow, I love that. It's a great mission. I'm powering the, the, the underdogs. That's right. And you know <laughs> what? It's been so impressive, you know, incredibly impressed to see the quality of these little... When I call them little, I mean, we're talking between 10 and $50 million in revenue a year, mm-hmm. you know, one to $5 million in profit or EBITDA. And, you know, we've just been blown away at the level of talent out there and the number of target companies that we're looking at to acquire. We're just fascinated by this, you know, sort of small to medium sized e-commerce landscape. I love True Local. I love all their branding. I love everything that they stand for. I, I thought nice. that's a, a brilliant idea. I'm from Stratford originally, and I'm based out here now. So I know they're from Waterloo. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've, I've kind of been following them. They're growing terrifically. I mean, you probably see their customer reviews. I mean, it's some of the best I've seen, to be honest. I have almost like a sort of a cult following on social. It's, it's super mm-hmm. cool. And especially now, that's perfect. It's a perfect company to have during a pandemic. Healthy meat to your door. Agreed. Have you been able to balance a personal life through all of this? You know what? It's something you have to make time for. It's so easy to go on the never-ending road. Oh, uh, which which I, (laughs) you know, right? (laughs) You know, so from my perspective, it's just something you have to consciously factor in and schedule in that time with with people you care about, and even for yourself. More Mm -hmm. importantly, these days, right? And we've had to do quite a bit of that. I, I'm a big advocate of speaking out and sharing stories on, you know, on decompressing, on mental health, on sleep, right? All of these things. I couldn't agree more with a lot of the voices out there, the big voices now on some of these topics. And, and I count myself as one of them because it is grueling. And even managing a public company, let alone a startup, is even double the pressure and double the work, I assure you. But you got to find the time. And so I think, you know, that's one of my resolutions as well. You know, sort of 
making sure. I mean, we're still in January, so I'm following it. But <laughs> let's see how long that lasts. What do you do to decompress? You know what? I, I mentioned sort of that at-home gym and exercise. For me, like that's my personal sort of uh, meditation. I've never been patient enough or disciplined enough to do the meditation, do the yoga. Every, everyone's been on me to try some of those things to kind of slow me down a bit. But I thought working out works well for me. Mm-hmm. I love reading. And generally, I'm trying to do less screen time. So like hard copy works for me best. Oh, wow. I think it's a joy for me to just spend more time on things that I'm passionate about. I love, like one of the reasons I love books and movies, I love storytelling. You know, I I enjoy, Mm. you know, doing talks. I enjoy reading and learning from others who are a few chapters ahead of me, of course, in the game. And you never stop learning, right? That to me in itself is a bit of a form of meditation. Yes, I would agree. You know what I found recently on YouTube, they have these five, 10 minute yoga meditations and those I can get through because I'm like you, I can never sit through a full yeah. one. But so I've been loving those because it's like, okay, done. I can concentrate. Or me anything that's that. working. Uh, <laughs> I will. Yeah. So what do you think is the key to success? If you had to put your finger on, you know, one specific thing. I think everyone has to, or, you know, everyone is in the best position to share what's worked for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't think I'm in a position to comment too broadly uh, on the topic. I think for me, if you look at you know my path from disgruntled investment banker, if you can, you can call me that, although they were probably more disgruntled with me than me with them <laughs> during the Wall Street days. But if you see that path, if you if you plot or chart that path from disgruntled banker to CEO of a hundred million dollar public company. You know, I think there's a lot in there. But again, main themes to sum up, you know, never give up is one been one of my big things. You'd be surprised how many people are so close to breaking out or getting the result they were originally hoping for, but never get to see it because oh. they quit right before it, right? Heartbreaking. So I think that's one aspect that, you know, I could have easily after my original venture when things, you know, didn't necessarily pan out as I initially envisioned partly because we were too young and, as I say, got some different pressures to take the company in different directions. But I could have easily, and I got that talk a lot, Emily. I I got that talk that, listen, you've tried your hand at this thing. You have an MBA. Why don't you go back to banking? Why don't you do something more focused and certain? And it could have been easy for me to, to jump back in. And I got those calls. But I said, you know what? I've learned something very valuable out of my initial years, and I want to apply it. And I want to apply it in a way that writes everything that was wrong. And I want to actually see if there's something there. Well, guess what? It didn't turn into something right away either. My last venture, my current venture rather, emerged. It took four years to get to the point where, as I say, you know, we grew that business from zero to $100 million in market value. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and again, a lot of trials and tribulations along the way. But, but I would never have been here had I given up after my, my initial run. And so I think that's probably the, easily the biggest lesson, i.e. resilience, stepping back up, and no matter how many times you're knocked down, sort of coming back up, shaking it off, and believing in yourself and believing in the journey, which is, which is super important, right? Like it's, it's not just that everything has to make sense now. It's just that as long as you're learning, growing, networking, you know, yes. thinking through things, documenting, you're just going to be better for it. And it's just a matter of time from that point on. Hmm. I love that. Were your parents entrepreneurs? 
I would say my father, to some extent, dabbled in it. I mean, my father was an engineer, which typically comes with a pretty conservative, focused approach and attitude towards life. But he wasn't uh, uh, exactly a standard engineer either. I think he was always, uh, you know, sort of uh, an out-of-the-box thinker for sure. And at some point when he retired, he ended up dabbling in. I'm originally from Jordan, and, and my father was actually pretty much, if not the first, one of the first boutique hotel owners in Jordan. So he built a, wow. a charming Italian-themed boutique hotel over there at a time when only chains and big names were sort of the norm. But I remember growing up that way. I remember growing up when I was, you know, eight, nine years. I must have been in third or fourth grade at the time. And, and after school, we'd go straight to my house and pick up my mom's famous tiramisu and drive it to my dad's hotel because that was the secret mama's recipe that was a dessert at the restaurant and so i would go in and it would be jam-packed and stuffy this was 1993 and tablecloths and you know sort of the waiters all dressed in their their suit with their (sighs) both eyes and stuffy and all smoky and uh, and i would deliver the 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 magical tiramisu and, uh, and call it a day that's amazing how old are you when you guys moved here so my parents are actually still in Jordan, and most of my family is uh, back in the Middle East, scattered between Jordan, Dubai, and a bit of London. You know, So I've been here in North America for about 16 years. I moved, initially came here to study at McGill, ended up doing my MBA at Georgetown in Washington, D.C., did a couple of years in New York, as you know, and then I've been doing 10 years plus out of based out of Toronto in technology and e-commerce. Do you think you'll stay there? You know what? It's just been an incredible time to be here in Toronto. You know, the tech ecosystem, the international exposure, the support, right? And at times like these, you know, countries like Canada, and there aren't many, by the way, they really shine in terms of the the support they give, whether it's businesses, entrepreneurs, largely. I mean, we built a great social network here. And it's just, it's an inspiring place to be. I always say, if you're not in your hometown, you better be in a city that's happening and on the rise. And it's hard not to think Toronto is, isn't mm-hmm. on the rise. So I like it a lot. Longer term, you know, obviously I have roots back in the Middle East. So I expect to do a lot more there and, and connect. Both worlds would be the ideal dream. Are they still building the Google Hub in Toronto? You know what? Last I heard they were, but I haven't been following. Because that was going to be a huge spike for Toronto Tech. Totally, totally. I think there's a lot of tech happening uh, around here. And you mentioned you know, True Local with, with Kitchener and Waterloo. And I think largely there's just a lot happening in Ontario and specifically Toronto. Influence and the talent and the capital available has just been next level. Do you think that you'll start any of your other own companies again? Or are you just going to focus on the, the acquiring? You know what? Right now with the merge you know, we've mostly been focused on acquiring these companies. We do have examples of where we have spun out some sister sites like Just Golf Stuff, which is a golf equipment portal, and BeRightBack.ca, which is a local travel business, right, for localized sort of nearby last-minute staycations and, and escapes, obviously all post-COVID world themes. So there is a mix of both. I think acquisitions is our focus. Mm-hmm. But personally, I can't think of anything outside of Emerge right now. I'm so buckled up and focused on, you know, on building this from $100 million to a $1 billion over the next five years. That's my mission right now, business-wise. And you know, that's what I owe to my team, my, my uh, shareholders, and my, 
you know, my overall community. I think there's a lot of people that have reached out saying, hey, they're investors in NTSX VE Com. And, and, and for me, that's a, that's a big responsibility. And, you know, I come to work every day ready to crush it. How many people are there at the moment that work there? So at Emerge, overall, we have about just under 100 staff. And that's a mix of obviously the employees that join with True Local, Underpar, our other brands, Wagjag, Be Right Back, Just Golf stuff, as well as the HQ team at Emerge that, that supports the rest of the portfolio. How has that been with COVID for you? To be honest, again, we don't like to say COVID was a great event. Obviously, it was not for the world. In our case, it was, you know, again, inevitable that e-commerce was a winner. Now, that doesn't mean every vertical flew sky high, but definitely in the cases of, as you can imagine, groceries, golf, which happened to be the envy of all other experiences, um, essentials, you know, all equipment and goods in general, like, you know, all of that's just been terrific for us. But it also was a very challenging time mentally, right? And, and you know, sort of working remotely and going through all of uh, all of those changes is not an easy thing. And I felt like the team handled it better than I would have predicted or expected. Everyone's super responsible. Maybe it's because they want to keep this work at home thing going. So they've been stepping up and look, we don't mind it. It's been working and, you know, we've been growing. We managed to go public and raise capital through this very turbulent time. And and so again, we I, I couldn't be more pleased with how we played it, but I do think that it's not just about what's happened. It's now about setting ourselves up for not only a pa- the rest of the pandemic, but for a post-pandemic world where, again, life will come back. Mm-hmm. So we got we to gotta make sure our bets are made in the right places, both people, acquisitions, and investments. How do you ensure productivity with your team when, when they're all working remotely? My philosophy on this has been a bit, others might call loose, but for me, the, the job's either getting done or not. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so there's no there's no policy on show me how much time you're putting in or in the end, we ask of, of the team certain things. We tell them what's asked of us from our board and investors and they just have to deliver it. And so far, so good. Right. Like people step up when you give them the room to to be themselves and ultimately operate at their comfort level. But, but knowing very well what the expectation is. So that's that's our philosophy. And do you have any days where you don't feel inspired you know, to go after it and you just want to... Yeah, you know what? I'm a pretty high energy person on average. I would say definitely on the the higher end of the optimism spectrum. It's actually hilarious and eye-opening to see when interacting and spending time with the management team or even with the board, what I think is possible or what I think we're going to do is consistently <laughs> miles away from what others think the reality of the situation is. And <laughs> I've been there. That eternal optimism is exactly founder DNA, right? So the truth ends up often being somewhere in between. But I can definitely say, you know, with a straight face that a number of things that I've said over the course of my journey to people that I thought would happen when I got those pale looks about the possibilities, I can, you know, very clearly report that multiple times, especially when it counted the most, that we've been able as a team to deliver much better than what was expected from the team itself. And that's by pushing, you know, the impossible in a, in a, in a way, and maybe not reaching that impossible territory, but maybe reaching 90 or 99% of what we thought, or what I thought could be possible. So I think there's a lot of learnings there in terms of how we're wired. But now to answer your question yeah like absolutely just like everyone else 
I have terrible days uh, once in a while. I have very demotivating days. And I try to keep perspective of it all, thinking through the big picture, thinking through, uh, you know, what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? And how, mm-hmm. you know, you know, great things. I'm the and be the go-to name for e-commerce brands as a portfolio. Like that's not a one or three or even five-year journey. Like that's a 10 or 20-year journey to cement our status and repeat the success and the growth time after time after time. So to be upset about a bad three days or week or month, I think it defeats the purpose. But I'm human just like everyone else. And we all have our bad days. Mm -hmm. What would you give a new entrepreneur that was lacking inspiration? You know what? I would first and foremost, if I were coaching, you know, sort of a, a startup founder in the early days and they were, you know, sort of, they came across as not too passionate or not too motivated. I would first question whether they were in fact in love or passionate with what they were doing to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times people are doing these things for the wrong reasons, especially mm-hmm. in an era that glamorizes and sensationalizes entrepreneurship and CEO life, so to speak, right? Because nothing could be further from the truth. I can tell you first time for 10 years, it, it is not a sexy <laughs> life. You know, and uh, and yeah, you get you get some perks, and you get your face on these articles, and that's all cool, to be honest. But it gets old pretty quickly. The bigger thing is to love what you do. Like I love coming in, working through my puzzle. This puzzle of who to acquire, how to negotiate those deals, how to keep talent motivated. You know, how to speak to investors and excite them about what we're building. You know, where the company is going to be in five years. Like that gets me going. And mm-hmm. and if that's what anyone is doing right now, early looking at it and if it's the wrong course or wrong path it doesn't sound like the right fit then you should steer away from something you're not passionate about there's no way you can handle these mountains of obstacles coming your way if you just don't love what you do so that's number one that i would look at but if someone actually does love what they're doing but feeling very bad about it or not loving waking up in the morning for too long then they should also question whether they are to be an entrepreneur like i know you want me to motivate people and listeners but not everyone is meant to be a CEO and an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So part of it is to be honest with yourself. Like, And again, we, we see stories like this all the time. But like the number 80 employee at Facebook is like worth $100 million or more potentially by now, right? Like you don't absolutely need to be the CEO. So that's another thing. So, But let's say, let's say you love what you do and you, you truly believe you're CEO material. Okay, so number one and number two, what I just said, actually hold true and you're good to go. So now it's like you're still not motivated. Well, then we just got to think a bit about the macro. And the macro is this. Anyone who's gotten anywhere worthwhile in life has had to go through these struggles and these issues and these these naysayers and frankly, all of these stresses. And you know what? Like that's actually you, you said you were yourself meant to be an entrepreneur then. Take it like everyone else does. Earn it. Like show it. Like learn. Like grow. Mm -hmm. And ultimately prove with your actions that you can build it. You can do it. And I'm sure you can. If you really believe it and you love what you do, as I said, then you'll do it. It's a matter of time. Stick around long enough to. That's the other thing. Like Success isn't like eight months and I need to be this or that. You see all these crazy stories. Again, media. (laughs) The media is Mm -hmm. sensationalizing all of these one-off stories. But the real power, the real strength, the real success comes over many, many years. And you got to be buckled up and ready to go. Mm-hmm. 
It's true. It gives a distorted view of entrepreneurship to so many people. I hear it all the time of messages of, you know, I get a lot of questions from people of, of how long does it take to start making money? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is the first because when we started all our companies, I didn't pay myself a dime because things started moving and we had and we had the capital to support it. And even then it was very gradual increase, right? That, you know, after a year, after two years, you know, start starting to get up and then by three, four, five years get to market. Like before then, it's the total opposite. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to be both ends. Yeah, exactly. And to wear all the hat. Like you say, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Exactly. 100%. So now where can people find more information about you and Emerge and everything that you're a part of? Yeah. So our corporate site is www.emerge-commerce.com. That is our corporate site, Emerge, E-M-E-R-G-E-commerce.com. Obviously, they can find more about the investor side as well on TMX.com, which is the parent company of the Toronto Venture Exchange, where they could search the ticker ECOM, E-C-O-M. So we are TSXV ECOM. In terms of our brands, as I mentioned, truelocal.ca, that's T-R-U, local.ca, underpar.com for golf, wagjag.com, and various other brands that you can find on the corporate site. I'm actually a pretty avid LinkedIn person. So, you know, follow me on, on LinkedIn and Emerge Commerce as well. We're very active on the e-commerce and technology space, sharing not just about Emerge, but about technology and, and just sort of for a founder life and mistakes along the way, just the journey in a nutshell. I love your post on oh, LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah, the one you just did about all, all the autocorrects. Oh, there you go. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's a heartfelt, hopefully heartfelt frustration, but it is a very true one for me. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing uh, so much great knowledge. Thank you so much. I try to keep it real. Emily, hopefully your listeners find value in this. And again, thanks. I'm a fan of your program. Appreciate you having me. Wonderful. Wonderful. 